0: Welcome, friends. This is Power and Pride, and I'm your host, Jay Quinton. We have an episode today that I couldn't wait to record, let alone uh, publish, and I hope that you enjoy it, and I hope that it sparks um, some curiosity for all of you to um, dig into the story a little bit more. But we're calling this episode, Dick Rowland and the Untold Massacre. So stay tuned, we'll be right back with the episode right after this. Okay, if we're going to talk about Dick Rowland and this untold massacre, we actually have to start a little bit before Dick Rowland, and actually start in 1902 when a man by the name of Jimmy Jones was born in Oklahoma. By the time Jimmy Jones turned six years old, he was orphaned with two of his sisters, and about that same time, um, he was unofficially adopted by a woman named. Damie Ford. Now, Damie had plans for for a better life for Jimmy Jones and herself, so she moved Jimmy and herself to Greenwood uh, with Damie's family, the Rollins. Now, Greenwood was a a neighborhood in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it wasn't just any neighborhood; it was a beginning to be at that time a booming uh, black owned, um, town with black, all black businesses. Um, you know, by the time we got to 1920, 1921, it was all, uh, black businesses, black businessmen and women, uh, black hospitals, black churches, black schools, um, and wealth. There was, Uh, wealth in this black town. And really, it was an anomaly at the time. If you think about 1921 in Jim Crow, Oklahoma, um, it was an anomaly. In fact, they nicknamed Greenwood, um, they called it Black Wall Street, right? So, um, the folks that lived in Black Wall Street either had businesses there that they owned and and uh, and serve the community or like many um, young black workers they would work in Tulsa uh, for either white families or white businesses uh, to make to make their money so Jimmy and Damie were living there um, Jimmy decided to take the last name of the family that he now uh, felt a part of, and he became he changed his last name from Jones to Roland, and then at the same time he decided to make a new first name for himself, um, and he chose his favorite name, and he became uh, Dick Roland. So Jimmy Jones became Dick Roland, and Dick Roland was doing well for himself. He was a shoe shine boy in a white owned parlor. Right down on uh, right on Main Street in downtown Tulsa, and so he was doing well there. Um, Tulsa was segregated at the time, and um, you know, the, so everything from drinking fountains to restrooms, etc., and even the black employees uh, of the shoeshine parlor, just like every other business, had to use restrooms um, elsewhere. They had, uh, so in this case, for for. Dick Rowland, he had to go to an adjacent building, the Drexel building, and go up to the top floor um, in order to use the "quote unquote" colored restroom. So that's what that's what Dick did. Dick worked downtown and and uh, was living a, a pretty regular life at that point for you know an adopted black kid in the early 1900s. Um, so. All of that would change, though. Not only for, for Dick Rowland, but for everybody in Greenwood and, and and many people in Tulsa. So while Dick was working downtown at the shoe shine shop or parlor, he um, needed to use a restroom. So he walked across to the adjacent building, and in order to get up to the top floor, they would take an elevator. So Dick... Uh, was making his way to the elevator as he was going to get on uh, he tripped stumbled over himself and reached out uh, to try to grab a hold of something to keep him from falling the unfortunate part is uh, when Dick Roland did that he grabbed onto the elevator operator and in this case it was Sarah Page a 17 year old uh, white young lady and like most people would do with being startled like that, Sarah screamed, and a store clerk um yelled out rape and called the police. And when she called the police, she called it in as a um sexual assault on Sarah Page by Dick Rowland. So in that um day and age. Dick immediately knew what kind of danger he was in. He had to have. Um, A black man talking friendly to to a white woman uh, sometimes was enough to get get people lynched, uh, let alone uh, touching a white woman and let alone it being uh, reported as a sexual assault. So Dick did the one thing that he thought he could do in that moment and he ran. He ran uh, for his life. Now, it didn't take long. The very next day, May 31st, 1921, Dick was arrested for sexual assault and he was brought over to the courthouse and the Tulsa Tribune, which was the local uh, paper there, reported on the front page that Dick Rowland was um, was being charged, was arrested and being charged for sexual assault against Sarah Page. And that it's essentially was part of the catalyst for, for bringing this angry mob to the courthouse. And the angry mob was um, was the Tolson, Tolson folks that lived um, on that side of town uh, all white. Many of them uh, were armed, and there were many Klan um, members in that mob. And the mob demanded that sher- the sheriff at the time, which was um, Sheriff Willard McCullough, they demanded Willard to give up Dick, give him up to the, give him up to the, um, to the crowd, to the mob so the mob could do their vigilante justice. And uh, to Willard's uh, credit, uh, he did not give up Dick Rowland to the mob or to anybody. In about that same time, 25 armed veterans, uh, veterans of World War I, from the Greenwood neighborhood, so they were all uh, black veterans, uh, came down in the courthouse to ensure that Dick Rowland would be protected and that he wouldn't be um, taken from the courthouse or the jail cell and and tortured and lynched. Um, so, as they got there, though Sheriff Woolard turned them away too, afraid of um, that it would you know um, that violence would ensue with those two groups there. Uh, so they left. But uh, not too much longer um, later, kind of as night fell, uh, these men uh, returned. This time they were 75 men strong, uh, most of them uh, armed and showed up at the courthouse with the mob still there and, again, stayed there to ensure that Dick Rowland would not be lynched by the mob or, or tortured by the mob. But as the Greenwood men got there, there were 70, about 75 of them. Uh, they realized that they were grossly outnumbered by the mob. The mob at that point had swelled to about 1,500, um, and uh, many, many of them were armed and uh, and enraged. Um, so, as these two groups were out in front of the courthouse, I, I mean, I can only imagine being Dick Rowland in that jail cell in that courthouse, I bet you he could hear, you know, these two groups arguing and and fighting and yelling at each other. And he could probably hear uh, the sheriff Willard trying to calm people down and move people back. And um, just what he must've been thinking as he sat uh, in that, in that jail cell. Um, And as the story goes, and I'm inclined to believe this uh, uh, version of, of events. Uh, but as the story goes, two men were struggling over a gun. One of the men from Greenwood along with one of the men from the mob were struggling over a gun. The gun uh, discharged. And, um, of course, that just led to a complete frenzy on, on all parts. So being completely outnumbered, the 75 Greenwood men retreated back to um, back to their neighborhood, back to Greenwood, uh, Greenwood on the other side of the tracks. Um, and the mob was clearly mad at this point. And they knew that they weren't going to be able to get at Dick Rowland that evening. They knew that, that the sheriff wasn't going to give him up and they weren't going to get their vigilante justice. Um, so some of the mob went downtown and looted a white-owned um essentially a gun store like a sporting goods type of store and uh, stole a bunch of guns uh, brought them back up Uh, a city official actually deputized some of the mob um, including some clan members and gave them guns and badges um which is which is insane in that moment on that night we're still talking about may 31st that evening um and then, with the with the crowd in a frenzy, they started marching towards Greenwood. And this is where it gets uh, uh, really nuts. But as that mob marched into Greenwood, um, they shot at every black person they could see. Um, they killed uh, many of them. They um, went into homes and and looted people's homes, uh, took anything of, of value. Uh, they injured people in the process. They killed people in the process. Um, and as night turned into morning or started to, to um, turn into morning, uh, thousands of Tulsa residents, white Tulsa residents joined the mob and they all began looting. Um, the Greenwood neighborhood and they began burning the Greenwood neighborhood. In fact, the mob was able to um, basically come up with some small planes um, several of them and they flew over Greenwood dropping firebombs on homes and again the hospital and hotels and businesses of this black community and Greenwood was literally on fire. Uh, nothing was spared uh, except for somehow uh, Booker T. Washington uh, High School. That was spared. Um, but nothing else. In this 35-city in this 35, um, 35 block town, everything was burnt to the ground. There were now... 10,000 black Greenwood residents immediately homeless. In the course of a few hours, they went from being um, profitable, prosperous, self-sustained, self-sufficient black community of about 10,000 to all of a sudden having nothing. Having nothing. And anything that they picked up out of their, their home would have been smoldering and, and on fire. So by the end of June 1st it's now uh, believed that about 300 uh, people died. About 20 of those were, were white and the, the other 280 or so were um black Greenwood residents. There was approximately 10,000 people, <clears throat> homeless, men, women, children, that no longer had, had a home to live in. Uh, to make matters worse, the, the National Guard was called in, and they were more harmed than help. In fact, when they got there, um, they imprisoned 6,000 Greenwood residents on the fairgrounds and kept them under under guard and gun. Um, just to basically pour salt in the wound, and when you when you think about the three hundred dead, the ten thousand homeless, the six thousand uh, imprisoned, the fire bombs from airplanes on our own citizens in our own uh, towns and and cities. Right here in America, and you have to ask yourself why didn't I hear about this in school? Why, why am I just for some of you, right? Why am I just hearing about this now? Why has has no one talked about this um, this atrocity, this massacre? And there's a a few reasons why. Um, One, uh, clearly there was a lot of wrong that was done. And um, this was, you know, Jim Crow, Oklahoma. So the media portrayed, uh, first of all, there's a media blackout. So much of it wasn't reported at all. And In fact, there was evidence from both before and after the massacre um, that was destroyed. And then the things that were reported, they reported as a black uprising, or they reported it as a riot, um, instead of for what it was, which was a a true massacre. Uh, White Tulsans, um, 1,500 to to 2,500 white Tulsans going into the Greenwood neighborhood and looting and killing and injuring, massacring Greenwood residents. And so it was was reported as as a riot versus a massacre Um, there now uh, and even in Greenwood in Tulsa there are people that don't know anything about it you can go to um, you can go to a college campus any college campus can ask them about Black Wall Street ask them about Greenwood um, and the Tulsa race massacre most are not going to know anything about it and that's that's um in my mind that's sh- that's shameful these are the types of things that we have to remember in order to understand how not to commit these mistakes in the future and it's not a guilt trip on anybody not on not on on white folks black folks rich folks poor folks Is not it's this happened and we need to go back and look at how this started. And even before, you know, 19-year-old Dick Rowland fell and um, bumped or grabbed onto Sarah Page. Um, you know, leading up to this point, the, the white Tolsons on the other side of the tracks wanted and asked, many of the black residents, including the city, um, asked the black residents of Greenwood to move further north so that they could use the land. But of course, they weren't trying to give them due value uh, for their land, so um, the black residents of Greenwood wouldn't move and wouldn't leave their home, wouldn't leave their businesses, their schools, their hospitals, um, because they wanted to um, use the land for something industrial so everybody knows that there was a motive to not have greenwood there Um, and in fact when they tried to rebuild after all of this uh, they put um, new city codes in to make it more difficult from what i understand is they uh, made uh, codes that you had to build your house with you know, such and such a metal and such and such a brick, which for these now newly homeless folks, that was nearly impossible as they were building their homes out of wood and were arrested if they were caught building homes with wood and not having brick and and um, these the other uh, requirements of this new new code. And they did that to try to, again, keep the black residents from rebuilding um, and to get them to move. So, one thing that's important here too is Dick Rowland, he was exonerated. He was exonerated, uh, as he should have been. And even Sarah Page didn't want to have any charges brought against um, Dick Rowland. And this clearly changed everybody's life, um, and, and including Dick Rowland's, and he did not Um, clearly did not feel safe and knew that if he had stuck around Greenwood that somebody would have got to him and he would have eventually been lynched. And so um, according to Damie Ford, after he uh, was exonerated, he made a quick stop back in Greenwood essentially to say goodbye and then moved on to uh, Kansas City. But really nothing official is known about him after that. And many of these players, nothing officially is known. Um, No one's really sure what happened to Sarah Page either. Um, There's lots of rumors and speculations about uh, both of those folks. But you can imagine that if that was the catalyst for this massacre, that neither one would want to be around to see what happens um, if they stuck around. So with that... We should know that now, uh, Greenwood has a new, uh, Greenwood cultural center and it's pivotal in remembering the victims of this massacre, um, and telling a fuller story, uh, about what happened and, and why it happened. Um, they do have a website not affiliated with power and pride or, or me, Jay Quinton. But, um, if you, you get in uh, on that, uh, that old, uh type-in machine on that old internet box and type in uh, Greenwood Cultural Center. Um, I know that there's a website that you'll find there. Um, I just recently saw them on Twitter as well. So um, you can find them there to find out a little bit bit more. So um, let's take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we'll wrap this up on Power and Pride with me, Jay Quinn. Welcome back, friends. This is Power and Pride, and I'm Jay Quinton. And this episode uh, I've been wanting to do um, since we started Power and Pride. I was very excited to do this episode, um, and I wasn't sure if we were going to get it recorded, let alone get it um, published. So thank you for listening. I um, definitely challenge you to. look into this this a bit more look into you know google or or bing or whatever your search engine is uh black wall street or greenwood oklahoma or the tulsa race massacre and really where you see um tulsa race riot um, i would encourage you to um, continue to to use the name it should be called which is the tulsa race massacre and um, if you want to reach out to us here at power and pride we do have our website up and running for both your smartphones and your uh, computer so again get on that old internet box and type in www.powerandpridepodcast.com or you can find me on twitter at the real j quinton or on uh, Facebook at Power and Pride Podcast. So thanks for joining me. This is Jay Quinton and Power and Pride. Until next time.